pair of hikers from Rhode Island have been rescued after getting stuck in treacherous terrain on Mount Washington. At least one hiker expressed they were feeling symptoms of hypothermia. Officials tell us the hikers were brought to safety around 10 p.m. And thankfully, there were no injuries. This was no drill, but a real-life emergency deep in the White Mountains. Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast, where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stump. So Stump, um, I, I hate feedback, but somebody, somebody said I'm distracted during the shows. Isn't the funniest thing? <clears throat> Without um, giving any example or just just randomly said that. Do you want me to read the uh, the quote? No. no. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm already triggered by it. But I, I I said to the person they were like, yeah, you kind you sometimes you seem distracted. I'm like, half the time I'm like looking at maps as we're talking because I don't know where the hell anything is. I yeah. have to look at my I'll, my map. I'll give so. you that. I don't know if it's distracted or you're just multitasking. I think you're. A multitasker by nature, anyway. Um. Yeah, you know what does distract me though is like, like I'm always thinking like, okay, I gotta have two or three questions in my head so that we move interviews along. And sometimes like, you don't have the next question, and yeah. you let a pause happen, and I don't like that. You know, you I'll freak out about it. the the dead air. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't like dead air. Well, yeah, dead air to me is fun though because I know I can get rid of it later. So. <laughs> yeah, I have a heart attack. I can't deal with it. So anyway, if I sound like I'm distracted, it's probably because I'm either looking at a map or I'm distracted on something else. <laughs> I got it. Yeah. So anyway, but uh, so we're uh, we're taking a short break from guests. So it's just me and Stomp tonight. Um, we got to build our catalog back up. So usually we're like, we have like a three or four week buffer of shows, but not right now. We're a little bit behind because of the summer. Yeah, we're running Eamon's hot. bank account. <laughs> yeah, we've had a lot of donations, which is which is great. Mike can um, pay all the bills and maybe sign up for some relaxing yoga classes to get his, his focus together again so we won't be so distracted. Nick, uh, Slida Slida, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, that's 10. Rebecca sent us three. Paul Kaffa, five. Benson the Bassett Hound, which is, I think he's got a crush on the kid, the executive producer. Um, is that, wait a minute, is that the guy that hikes with the Bassett Hound? No, this is just a Bassett Hound named Benson. There's all right, all right. Because if it's the guy, there is a like, there's a famous basset hound that hiked all the four thousand footers, mm. and uh, this basset hound is like the most jacked basset hound ever. So I saw him on Valley Way. So if that's the basset hound that climbed all the four thousand footers, like, hit us up on Instagram. I want, I want, I want that guy on the show. We got to talk about that basset hound. Benson. Well, he uh, he was up on the story once, and uh, you know it was a nice. You know, frontal picture of his face, so I, I didn't get to see the the musculature underneath the the droopy face and the know. ears. I don't know. There's a, I haven't seen this basset hound around in a couple of years, but like three four years ago, mm-hmm. there was a basset hound that was climbing all the four thousand footers, and it was I remember meeting him on Valley Way in the winter time, I think, and I was, <laughs> was like, jacked. holy shit, this is the most jacked basset hound <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. But people will know he was kind of famous. That's really but cool. Anyway, well, all right, keep going. All right, so uh, 10 coffees from Summit Beer Crew. Uh, Peanut bought us five. Um, Discover Rising Tides sent us along five. Uh, Sarah 
got one out to us and uh tony stewart uh also got us five tony's a huge fan she's uh works down at meredith um so yeah that's that's all the donation activity um Let's see what else is there. Oh yeah, we did get um, a couple things in, just random stuff. Like Sharpen the Sword actually took our advice and went to Reckless Brewery. They're our sponsor. He hiked Mount Carrigan, uh, or he or she, I'm not quite sure. And uh, then after that, they went to Reckless and had a great time, great food, great brew. Sent sent a picture along of all the beer. So uh, nice. thanks for yeah, thanks for uh, hitting them up. That's really fantastic. Um, Stacy Stacy T wanted some more tick jokes, but I, I I'm out of tick jokes. Everybody, they're they're done. I just don't have any more. So we'll have to see what happens with that. But uh, yeah, that's all all we have. Thank you very much, everybody. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks everyone. Because I think my wife's going to start listening to these shows, and she doesn't realize that we're actually paying for some of this stuff out of pocket. And she's going to be like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> so it'll be good to help offset the cost. But one thing I did want to give a plug to um, my—he's like a Facebook friend of mine. We've talked for a number of years. Um, Stash, I think he pronounces his name. So yeah. um, Stash has started a new podcast called Inside the Line. The Catskills. So he is a search and rescue guy, um, mm. pretty avid hiker, has done everything in the Catskills, it sounds like. So he just released a new podcast. So I'm going to put a link in the show notes if anybody wants to check it out. I know nothing about the Adirondacks. I know nothing about the Catskills, but um, I think yeah, he's going to be covering mostly the Catskills. But if you're interested, um, you know, he, he gave us a shout out at the beginning of his, his pilot episode. So we'll put a link in for that too. Good. Good. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, congrats. I'll have to yeah. dig it up. What's the name again? It is called Inside the Line, okay. the Cat Skills. Awesome. Yep, cool stuff. Good. Um, all right, so let's transition into the show summary here. So tonight uh, we are going to be talking about the uh, flags on the 48 event, um, and then we're also going to share some tips on how to get the most out of uh, fall foliage in the North Country. So if you're tired of sitting in traffic on the kink or through Franconia notch during uh, fall foliage, we're going to break down how not to be, be an annoying tourist during leaf peeping season. Uh, we will give you some tips on the best drives, the best hikes, and the best views during fall foliage season with a focus on not getting in the locals' way, all right? Um, we're also going to break down a recent trip through the Mahusik uh, Range that I did, and then we've got some search and rescue news and then um, some other kind of weird news that we've got to cover here. So I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. All right, all right. So, uh, are you drinking any reckless tonight, Stomp? No, I'm um, having a little Cabernet. I've got a little fussy stomach tonight. Not gonna lie, could be the pizza I just snarfed down like five minutes ago too. But yeah, I've been a little off today. Just tired. It's been a long week. Very cool. Well, I'm, how about you? I'm drinking a beer, but it's not reckless. So I feel like, am I allowed to like say another beer, or are we just oh, doing of course? Reckless? No, they're totally cool. You know, Stephen was actually like. It would be unrealistic if you guys drank Reckless every week. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So um, I have like, I, you know, we, I've been up the, up in Maine and like we've been on boats and went up a sake and stuff. So we've been grabbing a bunch of different beers. So I got like a like a mixed package of Smutty Nose. So I'm drinking Smutty Nose Lager, mm. which is a pretty good, pretty good. It's a regular old school 12 ounce can, which I'm not used to, but it's, it's not bad. Hmm. Yeah, actually back to Reckless. My wife and I are planning on going there this uh, Sunday, I believe. So we'll give you a good update. 
Oh, nice. It'll be my second time. Oh. I've only been there once when they, they premiered the carry-out stout. But yeah, we'll give you a, a little report. So good good beer. Good beer, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to get up there eventually. It's it's tough. I mean, my daughter just went back to college, and then um, I'm going on a college tour with my other daughter down into the mid-Atlantic. So it's just cr- – and work is insane. So it's – I got to get up there, but mm. – um, but I have still been hiking in all this insanity. But what about you, Stomp? Any any recent hikes? I, I heard you uncovered a, you had a secret discovery that you want to share. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've I've been doing the half hikes like up you know Kinsman Ridge to get people and up Bridal Path and this and that. But um, it's been crazy busy lately for search and rescue. But um, I can't say where it is because I, I stumbled upon it. it. It's a prospecting site. Somebody's been digging up an earth load of quartz um, in Smarts Brook. And I just, I, I nature called, I went off trail, bushwhacked in a little ways. Sure enough, there's this like 30 foot diameter pit of white. I'm like, what the hell is that? So I walk over, massive diameter quartz, like a four foot deep hole that was about eight feet wide. Um, <clears throat> unbelievable. I mean, I was shocked. I mean, I'm not a big leave no trace guy, but when it comes to that, that, that was a little over the top i mean 100 pound boulders of the most beautiful quartz i've ever seen little little teeny things yeah so that was my hike and i i contacted forest service because i was just really like what the hell is going on here so gave them the gps coordinates and they were going to check it out i did i did some more research about it too there's um it's called rock hounding i guess the old term the old school term is uh prospecting or harvesting or whatever you want to call it but according to the USDA, it's rock hounding. And apparently in the whites, there are only three places you can do this. And one of them would be Moat Mountain. And the other two would be Deer Hill and Lord Hill Mineral Collecting Area. I guess those are the um, you know special areas that you can actually go to dig up stuff. But anywhere else on federal property, hmm, probably not a good idea, people. Like, give me a break. Really interesting. So yeah. I think, I, I definitely remember when I was... In, when my kids were younger, there was a place in Evans Notch near like Blueberry Mountain where there was like a prospecting pit or something. Maybe it's one of the Lord's Hill. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but I, I don't know anything about that stuff. But is quartz is, is quartz worth anything? Is it like well, is I it mean, valuable for the the small gem dealers like over what is it Donderos and things like that? Not I'm not accusing them of selling this stuff, but they sell that stuff like maybe five bucks a pop for a little. Two inch by three inch piece. Sure, there's there's money yeah. to be made there, um, but I did a little deeper research, and apparently there is some correlation between these quartz pits and gold. So um, there mm. there is a possibility that somebody could have been digging just to find some gold. Uh, hopefully, the whoever's doing it better not be listening. You outed them. Yeah, I know. Trouble stomp. Well, they, they can, your identity is secret. <laughs> just just direct message me. I'll I'll be gentle with the cuffs, and we'll just take you right in, no problem. We'll keep it low key. It's a weird. It's a little weird, but right. uh, any other hiking? No, no, just a bunch of damn rescues, man. I'm telling you, halfway up this, halfway up that. <laughs> the week, the week before your trip, or the week of your trip. I mean, it was literally every single day a call came in. It was hot as hell, and um, every single day. Just brutal. Couldn't believe it. So, yeah, yeah, we got a whole list of stuff to go through. Yeah. 
Have you done anything else? I have, yeah. So I've done two hikes. So we're going to do the Mahusik Notch uh, or Mahusik Range Traverse in a separate segment. But I actually went, I had a Friday night free. I forget where my wife and kids were. Um, they might have gone up to Maine and I was heading up there the next day or something. But I had a Friday night free. So I grabbed my um, my buddies from town. We got like the soccer dad crew. And uh, I took him up to Monadnock. And then, matter of fact, just randomly, uh, Nobby Hikes, he had uh, he had hit me up, sent me a message, and was like, are you around? Because he was heading up north. So I ended up meeting him with two of my friends, and when we hiked Monadnock. Mm. So we went up. Well, um, you saw the, that Pompelli Cave, I guess, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I can't say where it is, but there's a, <laughs> there's a cave there that we went to. So we went there, and then went up uh, to the peak and hung out. So it was a Friday night and it was like not too, I mean, there was nobody there really um, the, the way that we went. We didn't see anybody at all until we got up to the peak. And even then there was only like maybe five or six people up there. But it was like that night where um, the, the the wildfire haze was, mm. was in the air. So it yeah. was like kind of, it was a good view, but it was just hazy. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'll um, I'll show you where my quartz is if you show me where the cave is. How's that sound? Yeah, 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 dude. I know people get like I definitely I've heard that too. Like some people are like you shouldn't give away all these secret areas and oh, you give out too much information. And it's like I get it. Know, shit, shit just comes up like when we're talking, and I'm not gonna edit this stuff out. Like you know. Yeah, I mean, I I go out of my way to to not talk about a few different things, but I've definitely changed my mindset about. Um, you know, showing people new places, you know, spread the, spread the traffic out, you know, same thing AMC did back in the seventies, just that, just spread it out. Trails will yeah. be better for it and everybody else will have a better time if there's less people on the trails. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've talked about the 4,000 footers, like everybody is on those 4,000 footers. Like to me, I'm much more interested in like the, the the non four thousand footers this time of the year, you know, I usually save those for the four thousand footers for winter when there's less people around. Like I'm on the terrifying twenty five or the fifty two with a view or in Maine or wherever, just because um, it just gets too crazy mm. this time of the year. But Monadnock for a Friday night hike, I mean, I got out of the car at three thirty. We were on the peak by like five fifteen, and then down by dark hmm. you know eight o'clock or so and then we we stopped in uh, i think peterborough and had a nice dinner and it's a great night it was awesome yeah i heard a lot of good things about that mountain it's just too far for yeah. me though you know i'm so so lazy now <laughs> yeah it's a hard ride for me too it's like anytime you have to go just east to west across new hampshire it's just a pain in the ass mm -hmm. because it's just slow going but yeah you know it's it was an hour and a half right well that's great Good to yeah. see you out there crushing it still, old man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a lot of hikes in. I, I, I was, This podcast is good. Like, I feel like pressure. I'm like, I gotta, I need topics to cover for hiking, so. Well, here's here's the big one. Um, this is this is a heavy topic. We actually decided to do this one a little earlier in the show because it's not a happy, fun topic, but this event here is fantastic, and it's definitely uplifting. A couple of weeks, we are on top of the 20th anniversary of of September 11th, uh, which was September 11th, 2001, Unforgettable Day. So what we want to do is talk about an event that started, I believe, that year and has gone every year since. I, you know, I couldn't find information about whether they did it last year, 2020, with COVID or not, but I'm going to say they did. You know, they most definitely did. I was I was on Jefferson last year with it. Oh, really? Oh, excellent. Okay, that's that's fantastic. That's good to know. So before we get into that, 
I just want to just reflect upon the day and uh, maybe get your your take on where you were, what you were doing, Mike, and how how it impacted you. Yeah, I um, geez, I gotta I gotta think back actually, but I was. I mean, it's one of those days where you never forget. I was working in Charleston, Charlestown, and I remember just coming in, and we have like this morning meeting. I'm an HR weasel, so um, we had like this group meeting and. I remember my boss being like, oh, a plane flew into the World Trade Center. And I think me and my wife had actually just gone to the World Trade Center like two years earlier. I remember eating dinner at like that Windows of the World restaurant there. And we saw Al Sharpton came in when we were there. So I remember Mm -hmm. like vividly like, oh, wow, I've been there. Um, But, you know, pretty soon you realize it was like a terrorist attack. We put we had one of those like old TVs with like that you saw in like back when we were in high school was on the wheels. And it was like the big square tv and everybody was watching it and then i think once the tower went down everyone was just like go home you know they sent everybody home i remember driving down route one and everybody's like letting everybody go and everybody's super like you know nice to each other like when we were driving on the roads and then i went home to north reading i know Kristen. we had just found out that she was pregnant with my oldest daughter so Mm -hmm. You know, we just went home to her. We went to her mother and father's house in North Reading and just hung out and watched TV. I remember listening to Howard Stern um, on the ride home and, you know, him and, you know, he was ranting about, the you know, that it was a terrorist attack and everything. But, you know, it was just a crazy time. And I do, like, it's kind of sad, like, reflecting back. I hadn't thought about this too much. But, like, I do remember, like, right after 9-11, like, I felt like the country was really united and we were all sort of collectively, like, together with the same sort of sense of unity around the purpose of the country. And now it just kind of, like, sucks just thinking about that because it's just, like, mm. we're so divided over everything. People are fighting over masks. They're fighting over, like, politics. Mm. You know, it, it just seems like social media has allowed us to just sort of separate into these tribes where, you know, you can just validate whatever thought you have. You can just find people that think the same way as you. And everybody just sort of is in their little corners thinking like you know in these little echo chambers and it just sucks just thinking about like you know where we've come in the last 20 years but mm-hmm. you know hopefully we'll get through it and you know we'll we'll find a way to find some from some unity but it's a sad day and um the flags on the 48 is a great reminder i do think that there's value in in continuing to sort of remember it so but that's my story. So thanks for listening there. Stop. Yeah. What, what about you? Where were you on 9 11? I was living in Beverly. I'm going to flex my muscle memory here. It's 87 Cabot Street, we, this dumpy little apartment. And I was working second shift. So I, I would start at about, I think, actually, yeah, I think it was like 2, 2 or 3 p.m. I would start. And um, so I was home watching the TV when that happened. And um, I was just transfixed, you know, watched it all unfurl. And I remember specifically just being really paranoid i remember paranoia for a couple of weeks there just like what how how broad is this threat and everything else and just being really concerned about that also for that uh the memory of that that different kind of shutdown do you remember what they they sh- you know kept all the planes down so it was absolute silent crickets at night there were no uh air air flights out or into the country and uh just really interesting time um, but I remember just being super paranoid and trying to shelter the kids from what was going on. And um, yeah, so 20 years later, here we are. Um, 
there's a it's obviously a mess at the moment with this Afghanistan business, but the purpose of this flags on the forty eight effort is to establish a memorial so that we never forget the people that were lost <clears throat> on that day. And I think that's a really valid and uh, honorable thing to do. The website itself is flags on the forty eight. Uh, it's all text except for the number forty eight dot org flags on the 48.org and what they've done is every I, I believe it's the saturday closest to the actual day of september 11th they will send groups of hikers up with uh, pvc piping for a makeshift flagpole and flags and everything else you need to summit each of the 48 peaks it starts around noontime lasts till about 2 p.m on the site, um, I didn't log in this time around because I think it's probably <laughs> all packed up with plenty of people for these groups. But on the website, there is a forum where you can log in and then pick your peak and join a bunch of other folks that will climb up that morning and set the flag up. And um, it's a great time. The first, the first time I did this, actually, I didn't even do it. My wife and I were trying to do the 48, so we decided to go up to um, Osceola. And we get to the top, and sure enough, there was you know the flag there and a bunch of people up there. And I remember um, somebody was playing bagpipes. So it was really impressive. Very uh, emotional, memorable hike that was. The second time I did it was with um, Nick Rallo, who's a good friend, and we went up Moose Lock. And it's funny, it was... I'm sure people will remember this September 11th, who, anybody that was on this hike, but it was monsoon rain. And by the time we got to Moose, it was, I don't know, 60-mile-an-hour winds and just heavy, heavy rain. And um, it, it was just unforgettable. Um, so the hike is a very memorable experience, um, and I highly recommend it for anybody. So the, the whole purpose of this is like, so I've never done this. Yeah. And I think the reason why I've never done it is because I do Reach the Beach every year. Right. And I think most years, Reach the Beach is like a, a running relay that goes from Bretton Woods to Hampton, New Hampshire. So I think almost every year I'm doing that, yeah. and I haven't been able to do it. But last year, for whatever reason, I was hiking, and I did. I had to do King Ravine for the um, Terrifying 25, so I did like a big loop on King Ravine, and I went up to Jefferson and down the Castle Trail. But like the flag, and I had no idea, didn't even realize it, but when I got there, the flag was up there, and like, yeah. What they do is they have the like I don't know what it's like for other places, but I on the one on Jefferson was like a twenty foot pole, and then they stick a flag on it. So you got to carry all that stuff up, right? right? Yeah. So everybody has a piece of the PVC piping. Somebody carries the flag um, and rope and whatnot, and um, you know generally you'll have like uh, a four point rope system, so four uh, lengths of rope going out to every direction just to, to tie it down to local trees. Um, cause it generally it's like, it's windy as hell or you have some bad weather. It's always, uh, a challenge keeping that pole up. What do they do? Like, um, Zealand and like East Osceola and Galehead? Like, do they, you the, and uh, Owl's Head, do they, the shrouded do they summits? Like, yeah. How do they do that? Well, East Osceola, that, that same day, my wife and I hiked over to that and there was a group of, uh, Boy Scouts with their team leaders and it's, they extend the length of PVC piping so that it gets above the trees. Uh, if okay. you've ever been over to East Osceola, those trees are damn high. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, they, they peek through. 
the canopy. So, Very cool. So from above, you can, I mean, even from, say, Franconia Ridge, if you look over real close, you can see flags over on Bond Cliff and things like that. So there are some vantage points that are really great for this day. And another side point, if the weather allows... Um, Air National Guard will generally buzz everybody a couple times in the Blackhawk, so that's a thrill. It really is. Nice, nice. Yeah. The um, and I'm on the site right now, Stomp, yeah. and it looks like I'm just kind of going through this quickly. So this is August 20th. I think this show is going to be. Dude, you're so distracted. Yeah, I'm distracted again. <laughs> so this sh- this show will be um, released, I think, on the 27th. But like, I'm looking here, like this. So it looks like everybody has grabbed a peak. But like, there's there's spots that you can join this group with uh, on on Mount Bond. Nice. There's three spots on Bond Cliff. Mm. Uh, there's a spot on Cabot Carter Dome. Looks to be. How about West Bond? West Bond is actually. Um, yeah, there's somebody signed up, but he's got eight spots left oh um, wow looks like nick nick has uh owl's head yeah oh good for him that's great yeah see it was it was tough for us because we're actually doing a um a statewide training for all the search and rescue groups so it's like what, what do i do go there or do this i mean obviously i'm gonna go to the statewide but i'll be there in spirit for sure yeah yeah and uh, you're right it does look like the uh the boy scout troop has osceola Mm. Um, which is very, very cool. Yeah, and now that I think about it, we're expecting Air National Guard to come to the training in the afternoon, so if you're at the peak, I guarantee you're going to see a Blackhawk buzz you. <laughs> it's probably inevitable. Nice, yeah. So I definitely, um, like I said earlier, like I'm, I'm sort of down on hiking the 4,000-footers, but on on that Saturday, is it actually on... September this year it is. This year? The 20th okay. is the actual day, which is a, a rarity. Got it. Yeah. So get, get, get out there on one of those peaks. So you don't need to be like part of the crew. Like you can just randomly hike. And like that's what I did last year is I right. just randomly hiked. Yep. And I just saw like there was probably like, I would say there was like 80 people mm-hmm. on, on Jefferson, which kind of sucked. But that's it was cool crazy. because it was like, Oof. it was crazy. But um, but I didn't see anybody like the, the route I went other than just being on the peak. Um, that was the only time I saw anybody, so yeah. it was okay. But it, it does get crowded, but it's worth it. You know, it's it's a good, good event, and I think that you can kind of donate or something to, um, you know, to the organization if you want. Just check out the the website. We'll we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. Never forget. All right. Yep. Anything else on this? So we want to move on to the next. Yeah. Segment? Let's move on. All right, we're doing fall foliage. So, stop. You said that it was too early to do this. Like, I disagree. Uh, well, I mean, my my idea of foliage is October, you know, Columbus Day weekend. So, for me, knowing that we're like bumping these out every week in terms of being on time every week, um, I figured it could wait. But I, I guess yeah. you could spread the word a little bit and get the episode yeah. out there and stuff. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sort of setting this up for, uh, you know, the hikers listen to the show, but also like if you have somebody that is not a hiker that's thinking about like, oh, I want to drive up to New Hampshire and check out the foliage. Like this segment is for people that don't hike and want to find a good way to sort of drive up and in a way that doesn't clog up the roads for all the local folks. So nothing that we're going to cover today has anything to do with like the kank 
or Lincoln or North Conway or any of those hot spots, Franconia Notch. Mm. All everything we're going to cover on this segment has nothing to do with any of those areas. Yeah, so. and you you can argue that um, you know Columbus Day weekend could be the the peak here in Franconia, but the the season starts several weeks earlier, way up. So if you wanted yeah. to travel north, you could start seeing it much earlier. Yeah, and I, I went online, and again, it's been pretty like rainy in Massachusetts, but I don't know if New Hampshire's different, and I don't know what effect that has on like when foliage starts or or whatever. But mm. I I went online to find like a a site, and basically, like the North Country, um, it's like the last week in September through the first week in October, so like a two week period. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got uh, Dixville Notch, Pittsburgh, Grafton Notch, all that. Is it Coos County or Coast County? I believe it's Coas. Coas County, yeah. So, but don't trust my pronunciations on anything. Yeah, yeah. So somebody tell us how to pronounce that. I'm not going to say it again because <laughs> I don't want to be embarrassed. Um, and then, like the White Mountains region is like the first week in October through the second week in October is like peak. And then down in the Lakes region, Ossipees, Belknaps, like it's like the second, third into the fourth week of um, October, and then like the last week of October. You know, you've got southern New Hampshire and then into the Berkshires uh, is typically like the, the time frame. So for me, you know, I'm breaking this segment down into like three different areas. Uh, one is like cool drives that you can take. So if you have any family members that aren't into hiking, but, you know, you want to bring your grandparents on a nice drive or you want to bring your kids on a nice drive, um, I've got a couple of suggestions for those and then uh, Stomp's going to give uh, give some advice on those as well and then we've got a few easy hikes and then we've got some epic hikes that um, that we want to cover here so Stomp just to begin with we're going to talk about the driving stuff so <laughs> I already talked about this like avoid the typical roads like 93 <laughs> yeah. North 16 uh. the Kank Lincoln North Conway like you're a local like I don't have any idea like all I ever hear is people bitching about like traffic around foliage but I don't have any idea like is it really as bad as they say it is during foliage season it is. Yeah, there's no question about it, especially that Columbus Day weekend. You can't get near the notch. I mean, it's standstill traffic for, yeah, it'll take an hour to get through that. And last year, it was the worst I've ever seen it. I think the traffic probably started at exit 33. And then when you went down to Lincoln, the traffic getting into Lincoln was the longest I've ever seen it. So I don't know if it was related to people just wanting to get out or or what. But man, yeah, there are some spots that if you want to go see foliage, <laughs> and you're gonna you're, you're just gonna sit in traffic. If that's your cup of yeah. tea, then go for it. Um, yeah, yeah, and I can't stress enough. Like I've been stuck behind like you know rubberneckers on the kank so many times like it's just brutal when you get stuck behind someone that's going like 35 40 miles an hour and you just mm-hmm. want to you know it's not that you i just lose patience so i just stay off the kank stay away from franconia stay away from 93 and, and 16 mm-hmm. um and obviously you're asking me like well then how where the hell am i gonna go but <laughs> what i'm gonna tell you is like if you're and i'm kind of assuming like okay if you're a mass resident and you're gonna come up to New Hampshire, or you're somebody that's not from the area and you're flying into Logan. I'm kind of making that assumption. Mm-hmm. And for me, if if you're talking like a good drive early season, in my opinion, 
the best way to approach fall foliage for me, if I was going to go up in that first or second week during like the North Country, I would take 95 North up into Portland. You know, obviously you're still going to be dealing with traffic, but I would take Route 26 into like Newry and Bethel and that area Mm -hmm. uh, from the Boston area. And from there, you can take 26 right up into the Grafton Notch area. And I haven't been around that area during foliage, but my guess is that it's not going to be as crowded. It is a one-lane road once you get into the Notch, but I can't imagine that it'll be as crowded as you're going to be dealing with. I have a story about that, but we'll get to it in a a little bit. (laughs) You're definitely right. There's less people for sure. Yeah, yeah. So so my, my perspective is 95 North, Go up past Portland, take um, Route 26 through Newry into Bethel and then into Grafton Notch. That road is amazing. The foliage up there is going to be unbelievable. There's a bunch of little pull-offs into different parking lots where you can take pictures. And then you can go all the way up to Dixville Notch. You can check out the balsams. And then on your way home, what I suggest you do is come home via Route 5. And that will take you um, by Lovell, Maine, into Freiburg. You know, you can stop in Newry, Bethel, Freiburg. Um, you can cut into Cornish, Maine, take Route 25, and then eventually you'll get onto Route 16. But there's a whole variety of options there where you're not going to be stuck in traffic nearly as bad as you would if you were going over the kank. It's a longer day, but it's it's a way more epic day than dealing with the crowds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have to... Um just modify the the kank i mean when we say the kank i think most people tend to think lincoln over to conway that stretch but i do have to say that from you know you'll have a little bit of traffic from woodstock but if you take the kank it's still the kank over to north haverhill you're going to go up over lost river and um that is that's probably less traffic and you're going to get some beautiful views up there what would it be it would be the kinsman's really it's awesome so that's a nice little stretch so it, that's a good segue for like a mid-season. So if you're mm-hmm. going, you know, that first ride I was talking about is kind of early season. Mid-season, the the drive that I would suggest is it's kind of along that area there. Um, and this is more of a, you know, taking um, 93, but cut off from Concord. And what you want to do is make your way over to the Hanover area and map out to a road called the Grafton Turnpike. And you can hit the Grafton Turnpike, which is down below Hanover, New Hampshire, on the western side of the state. And it's like a dirt road. Part of it's a dirt road. Part of it's paved. But Grafton Turnpike is like a 15-mile road that brings you into the Dartmouth Skiway. Mm -hmm. And when foliage is popping on that road, it is absolutely amazing. I actually did that drive last year coming back from a, uh, an AT section hike that I did. And I came back that whole way into Worcester uh, to, to go visit my daughter. But you can you can hit the Grafton, and it's not Grafton Notch, which is in the far north. This is in the western part. But you hit the Grafton Turnpike to the Dartmouth Skiway. And then what you can do is cut over to Route 10. And then that goes along the western part of the state. And then you can reconnect to Route 25A. And then that connects you to Route 3A, and you can drive into Franklin and um, back out 93 South near near Concord. Hmm. So it's a big, big loop of roads, and there's a ton of awesome foliage there. Nice. Not necessarily mountain views. 
but foliage. Some mountain views, like when you get up onto that Route 10 section there, you're on the western part. Like you can see like Mount Cube and you can see, um, I'm trying to remember what 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 else is in there. Um, that one with the fire tower. Uh, I don't know Kersage. if it's Stinson or... No, no, it's Cube and um, Smarts. Smarts Mountain, you can see. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yep. Um, but yeah, those are the two. So that's mid-season. And then for me, like later in the season like i'm always a big fan of like one route 113 in tamworth and there's a million different ways you can get in there and, and drive around and that takes you near the ossipes and it takes you up near Pasa conway and whiteface in that area mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome yeah so those are my suggestions so uh, i'll include these in the show notes so that people can reference them and you know they're they're great drives all day drives you know plan on being gone for eight hours if you're coming from mass mm-hmm yeah, like I said earlier, I would suggest um, skipping that eastern side of the Kank, but um, from Woodstock up and over, uh, I believe it's Route 118 from Woodstock, and mm-hmm. that's the Kank, um, all the way over to Route 25 uh, in Warren. That's a beauty. It, that basically goes up and over the southern tip of Mount Musalak, and there are some pullover spots there, too, uh, that let you look generally east towards all the mountain ranges and the lakes region. Uh, that's a good option. Route 116, which basically runs from Benton to Franconia, is is really nice. You you have when you're heading north, you have the Kinsman Range to your right, and then just rolling hills and open grass fields. That can be a really nice drive. Um, less crowded certainly than 93. And as a matter of fact, that's sort of a secret shortcut to get to the Notch if you want to bypass all the 93 traffic. Um, just head north, right up um, 116, straight. In, it dumps right out into uh, Franconia. And there are different okay. different routes to get to Bald Mountain and, and a few different vantage points that are great. And last for me, oh, oh yeah, I just want to make a note. If you have the correct kind of car, consider doing um, just a backwoods road, like Sandwich Notch Road, for instance. If you want to see foliage, you're going to see some beautiful, beautiful places, and there are spurs that you can pull off of. And um, I think, that, what is it, Hall's Pond, I believe, might be one of the series of ponds up on Sandwich Notch Road. But, you know, you drive down a little road, and you have a pond and a, a mountain in the background and plenty of views for foliage. Yeah, and that that's what I like about that Grafton um turnpike is that it's just like a 15 mile dirt road that you can just follow along and it's just it's amazing but it's really well it's not you don't need like a you can drive a car on it so it's it's pretty well groomed but yeah i think sandwich notch is a little more rugged yeah that yeah sandwich notch is not for the uh <laughs> not for the faint of heart that's yeah. a rough road but if you have a truck you're probably fine you, even an suv um you know, something like Nash Stream Forest, that road is perfect. It's dirt, but it's, oh, yeah. it's nice and flat, and that's a nice road if you want to see some foliage. Um, but Route 3 is probably one of my favorites. It's, you know, from, say, Whitefield to Lancaster, um, that's how you get into the Nash Stream Forest where the Percy Peaks would be and the quaint little village of Stark, which is probably one of the most beautiful little towns I've ever seen in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this this uh, a bridge and a church and this cliff wall in the back. I mean, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Um, that road in particular, that Route 3 dumps into 110 as it passes Stark. And from there, you just follow along the Amanusik River. And um, that is a beautiful trip if you want to see some foliage. 
Yeah, and that's like a that would be an earlier season uh, trip just because it it's be. farther north. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, all right. Well, I'm just going to, uh, what I'm going to do is cut and paste the, normally we just try to do like one line or whatever. I'm just going to cut and paste the raw notes that, that Stomp and I are both using for these rides or these drives so that you can you can reference them and you know there's no right or wrong way you know it's just basically like find the roads map out your own route and just you should be going into these drives with the expectation that you're going to be gone for a long day and that you're not in any rush and you know you should hopefully avoid a lot of traffic and see some amazing views because you just we really just need to get people off of the main areas and get get people more spread out and that's why you're seeing us talking about like going up from maine into new hampshire w- going to the the western side of the state and then spent also recommending a lot of time in the far north bravo bravo how about nice. some hikes so, yeah let's get out of our cars here so <laughs> exactly. i got um, i put together a list of some stuff here and uh, to be honest with you one of these i've done in the fall the rest of them are like hikes that i've done where i'm like oh my god i gotta come back during the fall because it's going to be amazing but the first one is pine mountain which is um right off of route 16 past pinkham notch at the you start at the pine link trailhead which i think i forget what is that what is that road that takes you into pine link link trail you know i've never been there i can't recall going there I think it's Dolly Cop or, or something. It's, a, it's that, oh, that campground there. Okay. And you go past the campground and then you go about a mile or two in and you get the Pine Link Trailhead. And Pine Mountain is like a privately owned mountain, but they, they allow people to hike. Yeah, I'm not and, really familiar. Yeah, it's an amazing mountain. It's easy hike. It's like maybe, I think it's about three miles round trip. And you, you start the hike off, you're probably about a mile on a like a dirt road. And then you get into the the trail, and then the, the interesting about Pine Mountain is, is is it sits right at the foot of Mount Madison. So that's why I think it's such a great foliage hike. Is that when you get up on the cliffs, mm-hmm. you're literally looking at Mount Madison right in front of you. And my thought is that when you get up there, like it, during foliage season, like you're going to see all of Madison just completely in color. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering if it was on the Mount Washington side or the Carter side, but I got it now. Yep. And uh, the next one stop is the one uh, we did this hike with with Nobby, but Mount Martha and Owl's Head. Remember when we were on Owl's Head, and I was saying I was like, "This has got to be the most amazing place to be during <laughs> foliage." I know it's incredible. The first time I went up with my wife, we never went over to Owl, and I, I regret it now. It's the most amazing little peak. Uh, getting down from there was pretty hairy, but um, yeah, it's amazing. The, this little rock, it's almost like a mini Mount Chakor up there with a little more tree cover. And uh, the view is incredible. It looks straight over to Mount Washington. Yeah. Yeah. And this is not the owl's head that's in the middle of the Pemi. This is the owl's head. I think Mount Martha and owl's head are peaks on Cherry Mountain. It's north of so Twin it, Mountain, the yeah. city. Yeah, exactly. Um the next suggestion I have, Stomp, is a little-known mountain that I don't think a lot of people go to. It's called Green Mountain mm-hmm. in Effingham. So it's right off of Route 16. You take the Route 25, and um, it's a cool mountain. It's sort of like a wide-open forest, mm-hmm. and it's got you know pretty easy trails to deal with. It's maybe about a four-mile hike round trip, and they've got a really cool um observation tower fire tower that you can go up to and it looks out into western maine and then gives you a nice view of the ossipee range as well Mm -hmm. when you get up there 
Excellent. And last for me, but not least, is my favorite little hometown mountain, which is Burnt Meadow in Brownfield, Maine. And this is an easy sort of four or five mile round trip hike. Awesome views into, uh, again, Western Maine. You can get some peaks of the presidentials from the backside and the foliage never disappoints. So Mm, excellent. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple. What do you you got? Yeah. I mean, mine are funny. I, I, I tend to uh, brave the crowds a little more than you, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Artist Bluff, I mean, though it's so crowded, to me, it's still one of the premier spots. I hate to say it, but you're going to have people there. But there's something about the cliff there and Bald Mountain, just the whole loop there, that is just this overwhelming sense of vertigo. You 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 have you know um, Eagle Cliff, and then right behind that you have Franconia, and then Cannon to the right when you're on the cliffs. It's just if you look just slightly north, you can see all the foliage. It's it's a short little hike very easy um but yeah a little bit crowded i had to throw that in there because it is really unique place you have Um, to put the shame shame drop when you say that (laughs) (laughs) yeah well it gets even worse right because i'm gonna say mount pemi (laughs) okay keep the shame drop yeah i know i can't help it but these places uh, they're they're easy hikes um i do have one after mount pemi that that is perfect but uh mount pemi's awesome and I think you, if you take the uh, the lesser known trail up to Indian Head slash Mount Pemi, you'll get a great view, and it's a fairly modest hike, not too bad. It's under three yeah. miles. I, I, I haven't hiked it. That's going to be where I, I, <sighs> I have one hike. I have one hike left for the fifty-two with a view. I've got one left for terrifying twenty-five, and one left for the four thousand footer. So Pemi is going to be my my final fifty-two with a view. So I'll, I'll get up there soon. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna love it. And then my final suggestion for an easy hike would be Bald Mountain, which is off of the Western Kinsman uh, mountain range. Again, it's, I, th- I believe it's straight up um, 116 that I just talked about. Okay. It's awesome. It, that's maybe a couple two miles up, and then it's just a, an open cliff face and ledges, and um, it, it's a western view, so you get a nice sunset. There are so many others. I had a really hard time with this section, to be honest with you. I just had to pick the ones that just came to like right to the top of my mind. Yeah, it is a challenge, though. Yeah. I mean, you could you could throw in Jennings, maybe, but that's like borderline between easy and hard. Uh, yeah, Jennings yeah. Peak. These were, we, I think I told you I was like they have to be like easy, like within yeah. four or five mile top. So yeah, it's that's a tough one. <laughs> but cool, they're out there yeah. and then we put I had asked you to like do some epic ones as well mm-hmm. um, I put a couple in like I don't know how epic they are but what did you what did you have for like sort of long hikes that you really think are awesome in, in the foliage I, the, the greatest experience I've ever had for foliage was actually on the Mahusik range um, my wife and I went out um, by car in my my truck out to Goose Eye which is what would you say, Mike? Maybe halfway through that range, maybe ten miles yeah. out, ten fifteen miles. Yeah, it's yeah, it's about fifteen miles into the <clears> range. <throat> yeah, uh, when we arrived at the trailhead, there were two cars. Didn't see anybody the entire day. Got to the top, and it's it's a northerly hike for sure. So you got to time it right. And I think we got it just as it was transitioning into the whites themselves a little further south so just the view up there was amazing um that's that's my number one goose eye is great i mean i guess you could do what is it um uh mount success 
Yeah. Okay, just yep. south of Goose Eye if you wanted a little less of a drive. Um, but the southern tip of the Mahusic Range, which we'll talk about, uh, is a good option if you're trying to avoid uh, some people <clears throat> and trying to get some epic, epic foliage. And then um, West Bond is is like literally one of my favorites for the 48. And what that is is that's a spur trail off of the Pemi Loop, which is the eastern wall of the 33-mile Pemi Jawasset Loop um, that we've talked about. And what it does basically is it just it, it puts you out into the middle of the entire Pemi wilderness, and it's just this incredible 360 view. Um, that would be one of my picks. And then lastly would be, would be Whaleback, which is it's an abandoned trail, and if you do some research, it used to be the old Osseo Trail. You can get to it from the current Osseo Trail. Or if you do a little research, you can get to it by the Clare Brook condominiums um, in Lincoln. But Whaleback is another beautiful one if you want an epic hike with great views into Mount Carrigane, um, Scar Ridge, and uh, so many others. So that's a couple for you. Yeah, I, w- I, want, to, um, I want to do that Whaleback hike. And specifically, the reason why I want to do that wheelback hike with you is because I want to take a look at that area because I am I'm always interested in that area because mm-hmm. of the the death of Patrick McCarthy that happened I think yeah like 2013 and I really like the idea that that kid climbed that mountain <laughs> like that just doesn't sit with me I just don't buy it but mm-hmm. I know it's controversial but um, and let's yeah, plan I that want, I've talked about that before mm-hmm. but I want to plan that hike and, and check it out you really should I mean Whaleback is one of my top five it's just such a great hike um, yeah maybe we can do live on location <laughs> yeah on the spot the investigators will be checking it out special live um, episode on Instagram <laughs> yeah exactly Mike can stomp solve a crime um, so I think for me, I had a couple of like more epic hikes, which I don't even know if they're epic, but they're just cool hikes. Mm-hmm. So um, I had here Morgan and Percival, which are, you know, they're not mm-hmm. a long, it's not a long hike, but like the, the views out into this, I think it's the Squam Lakes region is unbelievable. I've been on there during peak foliage and it's just amazing. Okay. And then the other hike is uh, Mount Cube, which I had. I had talked about earlier and you know that during foliage I, I had hiked that last year with my friend Tom mm-hmm. and we hit that during foliage and it was just amazing so I, I definitely recommend Morgan and Percival and then Mount Cube as good spots to um, to hike just if you're going to do Morgan and Percival just make sure you get there early and um, expect that you're going to see some crowds even if you do get there early here's a here's another a pointer for you a little secret spot um, yeah eyes are rolling in the audience right now but i don't give a damn nice. <laughs> just south of morgan percival there's webster slide does that ring a bell it's part of the squam range yeah you've talked about that before okay so if you pass webster slide it's just south of uh you know morgan percival whatever um and then then continue on past the summit or if you approach uh, from the south and ascend towards Webster Slide, there is a bench that somebody installed that overlooks the lakes region and Rattlesnake Mountain, which is across the way. It's beautiful, absolutely stunning. My wife and I were like, damn it, let's just stay here on this bench and skip Webster Slide Summit. It was just so impressive. So that could be a really nice spot too. Don't tell anybody. Yeah, it's a secret. <laughs> 
going to get hate mail for that one. Oh, that's all right. Sorry. But uh, (laughs) all right. It's good stuff. So uh, the other, we should probably just talk about like a reminder because people will be listening to this uh, at the end of August, but by the time foliage kicks around, I don't know when daylight savings is, but Mm. regardless, it gets darker early, bring your headlamp. What else do we, what else do they got to worry about? You know, every day the sun sets and in the fall, once that sun dips below the horizon, it gets cold really quick. So pack for cold temperatures. It's time to start digging out the winter stuff when you're going out for foliage hikes. And um, watch out for those leaves. I mean, the trails, you can you can go off trail much easier if you're not paying attention to the blazes on the trees. But just watch out because it can generally be pretty slippery on the trails themselves. You don't know what's underneath them, whether it's a rock or a root. So take your time. Make sure you have your footing. Good stuff. Good stuff. So hopefully this is helpful for people. And, you know, we're this will be released about a month before foliage season starts. So you get plenty of time to do your research and, again, stay off the busy areas and, and try to try to work the edges of New Hampshire if you're going to come up. Yeah. Have fun, people. Slasher's Hiking Topic of the Week. Uh, so next segment here, we're going to be moving on. We're going to be talking about, uh, I did a recent hike with my friend Tom. We did a two-night, three-day Mahoosic Traverse. So this is like 31 miles, I think, and something like 12,000 feet of elevation gain. Yeah. Um, Amazing. We dealt with all kinds of different crazy conditions, which I'll get into. But do you want to, um, Stomp, can you give a, an overview of the region? And I think you've, you've hiked this before, or parts of it. Just, so can you just give your perspective about this hike? Yeah, I have very limited exposure. I've heard about the place for several years from different people. And, uh, you know, they, they say it's one of the greatest areas in, in the region. And uh, I finally got up recently myself and uh, went up Goose Eye a couple times and the rumors are true it's absolutely beautiful some people that do the at call the most difficult you know the most difficult mile of the at i guess that's probably up in the the northern notch area correct mike it's yeah there's a um very similar to the ice gulch there's like a mile section of what's called mahusic notch which is basically a boulder scramble that is like it's just sort of right in the middle of a huge chasm i guess of Mm -hmm. you know two cliffs on either side yeah it's amazing. I mean, it starts pretty much near, what is it, Gorham in New Hampshire, just north of Mount Washington. I guess it was formed by a, a glacier 12,000 years ago, and it created the, the range and um, some of the most difficult terrain you'll ever experience in the Whites and north of the Whites. There are 10 peaks on this range. Old Speck at the northernmost, I believe that's the northernmost peak, correct? That is correct. Okay, yep. that's that comes in at 4,000 feet. So it's 4,160 feet. You have Goose Eye, which is 3,860. Mount Carlo, which is just south of Goose Eye. Mount Success, which is a really nice hike. You've done that one. I have not done that one, but I've known Mount Success from all the people telling me about the plane crash that's up there and just the, the wreckage of a plane. Did you find that plane crash, Mike? I've been there. We didn't do it this time. We were just a little bit pressed for time with the hike, but I've done, I did it solo mm-hmm. uh, last year. And uh, I do have, a matter of fact, I can put some pictures up on the show notes. There was a, a plane crash in 1959 that is just below the summit of Mount Success. Mm-hmm. And plane is pretty well intact. I think there was seven or eight people on board. 
two of the the flight crew had passed away, but the the remaining um, passengers and crew did survive. I think they survived like three three or four days on the mountain mm-hmm. before the rescue crews could get to them. I mean, it was 1959. It was a snowstorm. It was, you know, kind of a crazy crash. But I can put some some links about that in the show notes too. Yeah, some people do this as a backpack, 30 mile backpack. Um, if you're into just picking one of these, you know, one at a time, then you can access most of these hikes by the Lake Success Road, which is unpaved, and you ac- access that in Gorham um, or Berlin. And I think that's Berlin, actually, just a little north of... You're talking about Su- Success Pond Road. There's a Success Pond Road, which goes on the northern part of it, where you can access, like, sort of the, the middle part of the uh, the Mahusik Range. Oh, so you can get right to the middle part. You can get to like Mount Success. You can get into Mahusik Notch from Success Pond Road as well. Okay, so you know this is a different road. This starts in Berlin. Okay. Yeah, and, and this is how I got to uh, Gusai, and it's hilarious because um, it's it's a rutted logging road. So every foot or so, there's a rut, and it's just this constant um, like you're riding over a nonstop speed bump that just never ends. So it's like a the whole time. <laughs> the slower you go the worse it is. So on the way in, my wife and I took our time and I don't know, I think it was like 10 miles in to get to Gusai. It was incredible. So going, going nice and slow. And after the hike, I decided just to floor it. So <laughs> it was it was amazing because what happens, you're going so fast, like maybe 50 miles an hour or so, you, you more or less float over all of the speed bumps. So it's a lot easier, but it's a hair-raising drive out. Um, so yeah, keep a lookout for the roads that run parallel to this range on the western side of the range. It, it you know it'll give you access to some of the most amazing views I've ever seen. There's no question about it. I'll just give a summary of the three day trip that I did. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, so me and my friend Tom, like we've been doing sections of the AT in New Hampshire, and then we got into Maine this time. So I had wanted to do this section. And um, there's been, so originally our plan was we were just going to like spot cars at one end or the other. So we, we start at Rattle River, uh, which is where you exit the whites essentially in like Shelburne, Gorham area. And then there's a hostel right there called Rattle River Hostel. And then you have to do a little bit of a road walk to get up to the, I forget the name of the trail that takes, it's the Appalachian Trail, but it's there's another name to it that takes you up to like Mount Hayes. So with all the cars getting broken into, there's been like a rash of cars that have been getting broken into, getting their catalytic converters stolen. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Let's <laughs> just spot a car at Grafton. And then we end at Grafton Notch. So we decided to just spot a car at Grafton Notch. And then we got a shuttle driver. So we had um, Mara, who was actually on the Facebook group. She runs a shuttle service. So I had reached out to her to say like, hey, can you pick me up? And me and my friend. So she came and we, you know, we just set a time to say, like, we're going to meet you at this time. And she came, picked us up, and then drove us from Grafton Notch down to Rattle River where we started. So I'll put a link in the show no- notes for Mara uh, because her shuttle service, like, she'll go anywhere. She's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you got to pay her, obviously, but she'll go anywhere and she's great. Um, and she knows a lot about the area, so um, I'll, I'll link that in the show notes. But she, she basically dropped us off around 11, 11.30. The day that we went was like the hottest day of the year. So it was like insane. <laughs> uh, luckily, I had like a, I had all my new, I had a new backpack and I had dialed my gear in. So I think I was like 13 pounds base weight and then I was carrying maybe another 10 pounds of water and food with me. So I wasn't mm. too heavy, 
which was nice, but it was still pretty hot. So we did about 11 miles. We went from Rattle River to Gentian Pond Shelter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that day is like, it's not, you know, it's a fair amount of climbing, but it's not too crazy. It was just, I think the big peak that we went on was Walkit Ledge. And then um, there was Trident Pass and Cascade Mountain, you know, and we got some some decent views there, but Genshin Pond was just sort of like, it was ridiculously hot. We just sort of got our backpacking legs under us and then went right to bed because we got there a little bit late. I think it took us about seven hours or so to get, get there just because it was so hot. And then the next day was probably like the, what I would say is like the most epic day because, you know, you start off by going up Mount Success and then over Mount Carlo, Carlo yeah. or Mount Carlo, right? And then that's where you get into the Goose Eye, which is a really unique mountain. There's some like crazy, like ladder scrambles, yeah, to and, get like, to Goose rock Eye scrambles. Yeah, oh, it's, it's crazy. crazy. Yeah, we decided not to go up Carlo and just do the old uh, Goose Eye Trail or whatever it is. And it was like a three mile straight up. It was really not too bad. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. And then when you get like you go by Goose Eye, and then there's this other North Peak. Oh, it's beautiful. And then you know to get to North Peak, it's like it's almost like you're hiking in the Scottish Highlands. It's like a weird sort of you're above tree line, but it feels like you're like in the Scottish Highlands or something because it doesn't feel it feels like a plateau <laughs> that you're on, it's and you're so above cool. tree line the whole time. It's so crazy. Yeah, it's different than anywhere else in in the Whites that I've seen. Right, it's stunning when you first see it. Yeah. Yeah, and it was cool too because it was like right in the bubble with the AT through hiker. So Gentian Pond had like, you know, it was full, but not crazy. There was maybe 15 through hikers there. Um, and there was a crew, and we met a few of them, and we were talking a little bit. But um, did you summit all the, the 10? We skipped Goose Eye. Oh summit it's like a it's like two tenths of a mile but, yeah and we skipped like the the plane crash on mount success like it was the first day was hot and like me and tom don't hike at the same pace so it's a little bit different like there's a lot of like separation and then waiting for each other and, and stuff so yeah. it was a little bit like you know i, I didn't want to do too many side adventures so we mostly stuck to the at uh -huh. um but what we on the second night we got to Full Goose Shelter and Full Goose Shelter was like full because it was like southbound people hitting it from Grafton Notch and then there was um, northbound AT through hikers that were in the bubble and then you had the weekend warriors like me and Tom so we got a tent platform luckily and I, I passed right out <laughs> um, but we did actually we did get a chance to hang out with you know we met a few um, through hikers I met uh, we had made a friend with uh, a hiker named Birdbath cool kid mm -hmm. from uh, from New York he goes to school in Chicago so he was talking to us for quite a while and then when we woke up the next morning for day three was where we had to do Mahusik Notch and then climb Mahusik Arm. You must have been wiped. And, oh, well, no, we were fine. I was fine. Yeah. But it started raining, like, first thing in the morning. Like, I was looking at the radar, and I was saying to Tom, I was like, dude, you better get your stuff ready. It's going to start dumping. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, it started dumping, and we were all sitting in the shelter. There was, like, 25 people in the shelter. It was somebody's birthday, so we were able to sing happy birthday to one of the through hikers and stuff. But yeah. I said to Tom, I was like, let's get rolling. And, you know, it, it stopped raining right when we left. And we were able to get through Mahusik Notch, which is the the boulder scramble, 
we were able to get through that without it raining. And sure enough, like <laughs> race against the second time. it got done, we were like filling up water. And Tom says to me, he's like, yeah, you had told me that it was going to really start like pouring rain out. And luckily we dodged that bullet. And I was like, yeah, well, don't get too comfortable because sure enough, within five minutes of him saying that, it was the most torrential downpour for probably about an hour. Mm. Just torrential downpour <laughs> on top of us. And Birdbath had passed us with um, another through hiker named Tui, and we saw them. They had just set up like their, um, they had a tent, but they just set it up as a tarp, and they were sitting under it cooking meals. So they're definitely smarter and more experienced than us, but we were soaked. Birdbath. They were like, oh, you can hang out here if you want, but. How ironic. Yeah, they had, yeah, trail names. <laughs> but I was like, you know, let's get going. I, I had to get out because, um, you know, I wanted to get home and, and, uh, see the family because my daughter was going back to school so I, I kind of made Tom push on mm-hmm. I think he would have been happy to say like let's just throw a tent and wait it out but I was like no <laughs> we're going but we had to climb Mahusik arm so people say Mahusik notch is the the most difficult mile on the, the AT I say the climb up to Mahusik arm in the rain was by far the most difficult hike I've ever done anywhere mm-hmm. made Garfield Ridge look like a walk in the park mm. It made anything that I've done on the terrifying 25 look easy. Just because of the rain? Huntington. Oh, my God. It was just like, uh, stop. It was hiking up a waterfall. Oh, yeah. And there's like no, there there was no holds. Like there was some trees and all that, but you just had to go right up the waterfall. Yeah, because it, it was insane. Because I read it can take you, what, two hours just to go through that, that boulder field, the longest mile. Yeah, that took about an hour and a half or so, That's, and then um, yeah, yeah which was a grind, mm-hmm. and then right into Mahusik Arm, which was just insanity, hmm. and um, we were wiped by the time that happened. I had blisters and my feet were hurting bad, but we just pushed on, and you know we made it out to Grafton Notch. I think he ended up being that was another ten or an eleven mile day with. You know, it took us about nine or ten hours to get out there, but it was nice. There was some trail magic folks hanging out in Grafton Notch, so I got a a Coke and I got some Cheez Its and an apple when I got out. <laughs> was it Governor Sununu? And then I was about an hour. Did you see that? No, no, no. Dude, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that afterwards. But but no, this was two through hiker ladies that were they were hanging out waiting. But it was like this was the most amazing Coke that I've ever had. When I finished up, and I told them, I was I like, guess. I'm not a through hiker. If you don't want to give me magic, and they're like, no, no, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good so, for you, man. That's it, a killer, killer, ambitious hike. It's great. Brutal, brutal hike. I mean, it was like 10 or 11 mile days, which doesn't sound like that much, especially for these through hikers, but like, it's like over 4,000 feet of elevation. And the first day was like oppressive heat. Second day was hot, but manageable. And then the third day was just every it was like pouring rain ridiculous wind blowing when we got up to old spec and then all of a sudden the sun came out and it was like it became cool Hmm. so we experienced every bit of weather outside of winter excellent (laughs) yeah so it's good highly recommended if you're looking for a backpacking trip yeah i'm i'm living vicariously through your adventures (laughs) yeah yeah dude my gear was good though i was proud of myself i had that's not um, heavy at all that's amazing yeah, and I didn't, that's all I really needed was what I brought. I didn't bring a lot of extra stuff, and I, like, had, I finished my food, you know, halfway through day three. I was done, which was perfect, because I didn't want to carry a lot of stuff. Yeah. And my water situation, like, there's no no issues with water. Well, I was going to ask so you I that. Just used, I mean, what are the sources up there? I mean, it's like 
stick your finger in the in the air and look around and you'll see you know there's water everywhere really? in that that range huh okay cool up on the yeah. ridge too but I, really I, yeah i mean there were some sections you know three or four miles where you'd go and there was no water but for the most part like you were dropping into coals and you could find water and pretty much every every coal that you went through there was a water source yeah I, I'm, I'm dying to get up there again to do that ridge from Goose Eye north to the notch. That ridge looks beautiful, wide open, yeah, yeah, above tree line. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. I bet. I'll, I'll do that with you. Oh. I'll take you up there. But the water system I had, too, was perfect. Like, I just used, like, the AT through hikers. A lot of them do the same thing. As I got a smart water bottle, yeah. and I just had the Sawyer Mini screwed into it. And then, so when I need water, I just fill up that liter screw the filter on and then just go hmm. it took like two seconds versus like messing around with a bag and squeezing and all that i didn't have to deal with any of that <laughs> squeeze the bag <laughs> yeah and finally like i finally get my shit together when it comes to backpacking i think good it's awesome <laughs> yeah all right all right so mahusic notch traverse definitely do it if you if you're curious um next segment here is recent search and rescue news Hey, by the can, can we back up for one second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're gonna do this in the winter, <laughs> I've heard horror stories. I mean, there's no real easy way to do this in the winter, and I've heard stories of people just like bailing out and just bushwhacking down to the Success Bond Road and stuff like that. I mean, if you're gonna do it in the winter, man, make sure you know what you're doing because that's that's like a death wish for sure, right? Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know there was a crew that did it a few years ago. Like, they did a single-day Mahusic Traverse. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how the hell they did it. Like, I don't get it, but I wouldn't mess around too much in the winter up there unless you know what you're doing. Like, you can get in from Grafton Notch, I'm assuming. Yeah, You can get in from Rattle River, but I don't know how you get to the center sections. I mean, it's got to be a beastly backpacking trip in the winter i i don't know i i my guess is that like nothing's broken out like there's ways to get up there i'm sure that you can get in through like snowmobiles yeah, snowmobiles whatnot, but break that out yeah. but still you're bushwhacking down to get to those roads through deep snow because you'd be looking west and i mean yeah just be careful if you're thinking about doing something like that yeah anyhow yeah, definitely just a side note all right back to search and Thank rescue you. you're always you're always thinking about keeping people safe Stomp. i like it <laughs> So. <laughs> that's right because i'm getting exhausted um, <laughs> all right so i've been talking a lot stomp but i, I want i'll do the first search and rescue and then if you can just run through the rest of them yeah um, you bet that'll be good but so this first one i wanted to pull up just because it's it's not in it's not in the new england area or new hampshire this is a um a hiker, her body was found two years after she went missing in the North Cascade Mountain Range, which I think is Washington. So this is um, Rachel Lackaduke of Moses Lake. She went missing in October of 2019. She told her family she was planning to hike uh, this trail system to a cabin and then spend the night to celebrate her birthday. And they found the trail, the vehicle at the trailhead, but like they, the search crews, they didn't, they weren't able to locate her. They, they went to the tower. They didn't see her. The weather turned bad while she was hiking and she didn't make it off the mountain. Um, apparently there is a, like a, it's not a search and rescue organization, but it's another type of organization that specifically will do 
search and recovery after search and rescue has basically done everything they can do, the, this organization will continue to do searches and they were able to locate her body two years after she had been missing, which it's really sad, but I'm sure that it brings the family, um, you know, a lot of peace to know that, you know, she's, she's back with them and at least, you know, her, her remains are, are found. But mm-hmm. I, the reason I wanted to bring it up, Stomp, is I was kind of curious, like there's nothing like that in the New Hampshire area that I can think of, right? Not that I'm aware of. Not any organization anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, just private efforts, I'm sure. But uh, I can't recall any particular agency that would do that after the yeah, fact. Yeah. And there's not that many, like, I don't know of that many cases where there's like missing people that haven't been located. I know there's like that Stefan Sue case off of Mount Washington, but I don't even know if that, if they, he was ever in Mount Washington. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I can't think of any other, I mean, there's another guy named Kevin Race that supposedly went missing on Tuckerman, but like, that's another case where it's dubious because there was some financial shenanigans going on there. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, I can't think of anybody else that's like missing like this for so long. Yeah. Two years. Wow. Yeah. But that's really yeah, great. But, yeah. So anyway. Want to get into New Hampshire stuff? Yes, this is a this is a, a quattro. Like we had four days in a row where we were out responding to calls, and it was of course in the hottest weather of the summer, the, the sticky, humid weather. I mean, the rocks were all soaked and and just damp and slippery. And uh, the first one of the series came in on August twelfth. There was a call. Uh, to fishing game for a hiker that was having a heat-related illness on the old bridle path. And the old bridle path is the northern side of the Franconia Loop, which starts, you know, falling waters, then over to Lafayette, and then down old bridle. This person was having some heat issues and was overheating and just could not continue on. Uh, They tried to rehydrate and cool down. His condition worsened. Um, The hiker's name was Dennis Fleming of Waltham, Massachusetts, and uh, he and two other people had departed earlier that day, um, spending one night on Garfield Ridge, which is the northern wall of the Pemi Loop. They used most of their water the previous day and then hit Greenleaf Hut on the way down towards Old Bridal Path. They got more water there, thankfully. Um, That is a great resource if you're up in the loop on a hot day. But boy, I'm telling you, that heat that day was just so, so awful. I I think that morning I went out and maybe went up to the Overlook here at Welsh Dickey and I said, that's it. I'm done. So I went home by 11. It's just not the best time to get out in this stuff. Um, so, yeah, we ended up getting to this fella, tried to cool him off, off the best we could, and then carried him down by litter and um, got him out safe. I think that was day one of our um, through hike, and that, that weather was just insane. Yeah, awful. Absolutely awful. Yeah. And then we have rescue number two. Um, this is somebody that was... I may be getting these dates wrong. I apologize. I'm looking at this tiny little screen here. (laughs) But a hiker rescued from the Kinsman Ridge Trail. Now, this is the northern side of the Kinsman Ridge Trail. So if anybody's hiked this one, um, it's two miles straight to the top of Cannon. And it's... 
it was funny last week i was on vacation with some of my daughters they came up and it was fantastic seeing them and we went to whale's tail one day and that's oh, nice. that's all i can compare this damn trail to this is the worst trail by far in my opinion my humble opinion in the whites it it's like a gully it's like going down a gravel water slide it's the the first half of it anyway and then when you get to the the, the switchbacks uh, on the second half, just giant mangled boulders. I mean, it's just yeah. it's a terrible, terrible trail. Uh, apologies to anybody that love it. <laughs> I'm not I'm not yeah. in that category. Um, so yes, this hiker was coming down and suffered a lower leg injury. Uh, coming down the trail and, mem- and remember that the, the rocks were just soaked very slippery uh, Pemi responded with fishing game officers and another day of extreme heat and humidity the hiker was up about just under a mile um, up the trail and that mile like I said that that mile is a brutal mile and yeah. have you ever done this one Mike you haven't have you what is the trail again because this goes right to canon because you're saving canon for your your finale yeah yeah, i haven't done it yeah i've done fishing jim fishing jimmy okay up to the kinsman okay so just just let's just jump back to your adventure here so how are you going to get up to canon is it going to be the lonesome lake side or the yeah so this is so just for the audience um i'm going to be doing like one hike to finish the the 52 with the views the terrifying 25 and the 4000 footer so i'm going to go pemi to flume slide down liberty springs up lonesome lake and then i think i'm going high cannon to cannon Hmm. mountain and then down into the cannon parking lot so i don't know what trail that's going to take me to yeah, you're probably going to come down this trail that we're talking about right now. Okay. So it, let's just talk about it. This this fella hit this one portion in particular. Um, this 62-year-old hiker was coming down uh, the trail, and he hit a section where there's just this, this, I don't know, maybe 50 degree slope of slippery ledge, and he slid and fell 20 feet down to the bottom of that, and that's when he got scraped up and injured. Um, so just be aware of that one, Mike. It's, it's a crazy section, but after that portion, then it's probably a quarter to half a mile of bouldery switchbacks, which I don't know. I read these stories and sometimes I think, oh man, these, these stories are sort of redundant, but here's a little inside baseball. This section of trail is so difficult that we really couldn't carry this individual, with say six or eight people and you know walk 20 feet this was probably 70 to 80 percent what we call a handoff where we just have people line up on either side of the trail in front of the litter as we're heading down trail and we just pass it off because there's no way that you can safely uh, keep your footing without getting injured so from where this guy injured himself for the next half mile it's like it's just brutal. Oh my God. It, it's brutal. It must just take forever. It, it did. I mean, it, I, the numbers are here. I think we got to him by like 345 and got out by six. So you're talking less than a mile. It took us at least two hours to get down. Um, I, you know, put it in perspective, it, it's just really difficult. So that was a fun one. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. I think I saw some pictures of that on like somewhere in social media that was like a big crowd. So oh, you got a good army God. of people there. Yeah. I mean, the, the volunteers, I mean, hats off to the volunteers that show up for these missions, especially four days in a row in this extreme heat. I just can't say enough. I'm just floored by the uh, dedication and passion that the team members have. Um, it's just amazing. Nice. Yeah. So now here's number three. This this might be a little more inside baseball, too, because everybody saw the story. Everybody saw the pictures. The Drewell Trail is just basically to the left side of the cog. Uh, you have the Amanusik Trail to the right side of the cog. Um, generally, people go up the Amanusik and hit uh, the hut and um, hit the summit of Mount Washington and then come down Jewel. So, regardless, this individual started having a medical emergency. So, um, Army National Guard was called in to see if they could get in there quick and extract the person. Because in some cases where people have medical emergencies, there's no other best option other than to get them to the hospital as quick as possible. And that's where the Air National Guard comes in. They flew in from Concord, um, arriving at about 2.48 p.m. If it's cloudy or if it's overcast, um, if there's a low ceiling, quote-unquote, where they just have no visibility, they can't get in there to do their job. So it it was such a strange day. When this call came in, apparently everything was socked in, and there were just these brief windows where everything would clear out and a, a front of high pressure would roll through and then, boom, that would pass. And then all of a sudden, the clouds would drop. So from what I understand, the, the Blackhawk tried initially to get to these people and um, were unsuccessful. They ran out of gas or they ran low on gas, had to go refuel in Maine. And then they came back. And thankfully, uh, providentially, the, the clouds let go for just a small window of time and they were able to um, extract the individual and um, and take them out and uh, long story short this you know this is the the quote from the report um, the exhaustive efforts by the hiker's sons apparently they were trying to treat him for a couple hours Um, you know uh, here it is yeah cpr for two and a half hours um, it was unsuccessful and, uh, the individual passed. Um, yeah, I could, I can't imagine like how the sons must, you know, it's, it's unimaginable. Yeah. And it, what's crazy about this, I got pictures from some of the members as they were leaving and they showed basically what had happened after the Blackhawk left and basically that, that ceiling dropped again. So it's just crazy the way it all works out. Yeah. Yeah. Had, had they not been able to, get the individual out that would have meant a recovery which means that a rescue team goes up with a litter and carries the um the deceased body out trying on everybody's trying on the volunteers and the family it's um it's a very challenging uh, emotional time for everybody well i used to imagine like the sons just they got to hike down and, and rush to their car and get to the hospital and you know, it must be just a crazy experience so it's just it's just tough but it's like we talked about this with chris from solo when he was here like all of the infrastructure is set up with this idea that you're within like 20 30 minutes of you know a medical support area or hospital or whatever but like when you're on the mountains it's just not the reality so mm-hmm. yeah exactly <sighs> good old jewel 
Yeah. So I think we have two more here. I'll, I'll just zip through it. Here's a repeat. It's, um, this, is this the same one? No, a 31-year-old female that suffered a lower leg injury on the same trail, old bridle path. She was about a mile and a half up. Pemi joined in with um, the New Hampshire Fishing Game and were able to stabilize her and carry her out by litter. And um, everybody arrived back to the trailhead at about 5.10 p.m., where she was taken to a local hospital and treated. Um, sorry, I'm zipping through that one because it's sort of deja vu. Yeah. And then finally, um, a medical emergency on Mount Major. Monday, August 16th. So much going on in this week. It's incredible. Mount Major, which is in Alton, it's one of these lower peaks that is heavily trafficked. Uh, this hiker, uh, 68-year-old out of Concord, New Hampshire, was hiking with his daughter when he just passed out while descending from the summit. And they were about one quarter mile down the blue trail from the summit, which I guess would leave about a mile left. When officers and Alton Fire Department personnel arrived, it was about 345 and they determined that this was a medical emergency and that he would need to be carried down the mountain. Um, I'm just trying to piece in this dart piece here. Um, additional help was called in from Guilford and Gilmanton Fire Departments along with our uh, brothers and sisters in, in SAR, Lakes Region Search and Rescue. And they carried the person about one half mile to the fire department side by side which is um, a variation on an all-terrain vehicle. Yep. And they went about another three-quarters of a mile. And, oh, I see. So Dart was just called for assistance and was uh, waiting at the trailhead. But in this case, they went to Concord Hospital for treatment. Very busy. Very busy. So, hey, Stomp, have I told you about the guy that is on the Fishing Game Facebook page? He's, he's, uh, um, he's on a mission. Okay. He, he is a, I think, so I've actually, I've reached out to him because I want to have him on the show, but he's like, he's, he basically is like, no, I don't trust you guys because you're going to like set me up or something, which I have no intention <laughs> of doing that. But basically, like, as far as I can tell, this guy is like a hunter or a fisherman or like something like that. And every time that there's up. a rescue, yeah, he's like, he doesn't trust us, which I get. I understand that. I wouldn't trust me either. He's like a hunter or a fisherman or whatever, and his whole beef is that every time there's a, there's a rescue, he is like, did they buy a hike safe card? And like, he's ah. uncovered like somehow like I think most of the rescues that have happened this year, there's only been like one or two people that have actually had a hike safe card. So his whole beef, and you know, he, maybe he has a point. I don't know. His whole beef is that like the um, the. You have to buy a fishing license. You have to buy a hunting license. You have to register your vehicle, your ATV. You have to register your snowmobile. You have to register like your boat or whatever. And he's like, all that money goes to support fishing game. But the hikers, when they have rescues, like unless they buy a hike safe card, like they're just free riding. So he's basically, his whole thing is like all hikers should be required to have a license to be out hiking yeah. regardless of where they are to pay for search and rescue. So well, I have, I mean, let me save my research on that because I have yeah. fishing game funding um, and how they work and how they've worked historically. And I think it's really interesting. Yeah, maybe, yeah, we can, yeah. maybe we can cover that while he's on board because um, it's, it's pretty eye-opening how the, the agency started, how they were funded, 
how they're currently funded, the deficits, how they make it. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, we'll 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 save this for like a separate episode, but I wanted to bring it up just because I was thinking about it, but I also wanted to like <laughs> bring this up. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to basically just send this guy. So I've sent them a couple messages and I'm like, dude, you should come on. It would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and and like every all the hikers on social media like hate this guy. They're like yelling at him and stuff. So I get it. He's kind of like I don't want to deal with you hikers. You're all you know crazy. But I'm like trying to like soften it up a little bit with him. But he's like, no, I'm not coming on because I don't trust you guys. You're gonna set me up. Um, so I just want to bring it up. So I'll work on getting him on, and then we can do a deeper dive. But anyway, that was I that was kind of an interesting segue. Oh, it's great. Cool. It's so cool. All right. So I've got a couple of other news stories, Stomp, that I wanted to go through with you. There's some cool stuff here that I've just been like collecting as a like a, as it comes up. I just was like, oh, this will be good to talk to Stomp about. Yeah, let's check it um, out. Couple. Funny so this ones. first one is: um, Have you heard about this guy River Dave? He's like a hermit that lives on the Merrimack. I have somewhere. not heard about it until now. Got it. Yeah. So there's this guy. I don't even know. Like I'm so horrible. I should be doing more research. But he built. He's 81. The, 81 years old, this guy built a cabin on, like, the Merrimack River. Um, I don't even know what town it is. But basically what he's saying is that it's a, it's in Canterbury, I guess. So for three decades, this guy has lived in the woods along the Merrimack in a small cabin. He's got yeah. solar panels set up. He's been growing his own food. Like, there's no road in there and no access. So he's completely off the grid. Um, and apparently, like... Nobody even knew he was there other than, like, I guess he's known to, like, kayakers. And, and, you know, he's not hiding like the guy up in Maine was hiding, but he's not, wasn't super well known. But apparently he his his story is that he had permission by the original landowner to... Verbal. Yeah, verbal. Verbal, verbal to live there. And then, like, at some point, somebody in the town realized, I don't know, around 2015 or something, they realized that this guy was in in this camp and that started like this whole big thing where like the property owner, which is like another old guy that's in Vermont, was like, you know, you got to get off the property. You don't live there. And, you know, there's all these insurance concerns and all kinds of other stuff that like the property owner is basically like, I have to start proceedings to get this guy off of the property. Um and he, the owner of the land wants to tear the cabin down, blah, blah, blah. So there was some sort of a dispute, a legal dispute where um, it went to court. They basically took River Dave, held him in contempt, and, and put him in jail or something happened. While he was in jail, his cabin mysteriously, like, burnt down. Oh, yeah. So clearly, like, huh? and everybody seems to think that it was, like, clearly arson that they wanted to get the guy out of there. That's such a shame. You yeah, know, there's there's a happy ending. Well, they story. also used I well I I was like looking at this story from a legal perspective, and uh, yeah. we can touch upon that. But um, um, yeah, so I think the I think the the legal side of it was also looking at the fact that he didn't have like a road and and things like that to to actually sustain a, a typical residence, you know. So I think they were trying to use anything possible to get the guy out of there. Yeah, yeah. And it's so funny, like, you always hear about these, like, squatter rules and all this stuff. And I see it on social media, like, people will be like, I'm in the, I'm in your house for 30 days, and now you have to, like, evict me or whatever. But, like, it mm. seemed like this guy was pretty quickly kicked off. Um, but there's a happy ending to this one. Matter of fact, I just read about it today, is apparently there's some billionaire guy that lives in New Hampshire. Nice. His last name is Carp, 
and he he's like the owner or the CEO of like this tech company called Palantir, I think, or something. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll put the article. Yeah. But uh, if this guy's listening to the show, by the way, like um, <laughs> if you need like a personal hiking guide or something, like uh, Mr. Carp or whatever your name personal is, like physical therapist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hit me up. I'll like uh, I'll, I'll retire and uh, work for you. But anyway, this Carp guy <laughs> heard the story about River Dave, and. Um, yeah, I don't know. He donated one hundred eighty thousand dollars, and he found some place where River Dave can like build a new cabin on a river somewhere. So it's huh. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I when I read the story, I was thinking back to the old law school days and um, adverse possession. And yeah. in the story, it talks about two owners. So the guy was on the land for twenty seven years, and the first owner apparently gave him verbal permission to be there. So. You know, in, in the common law, you have this thing called adverse possession, and you have to meet these criteria, which is basically, you know, living on a con- on the piece of land continuously, hostile meaning, you know, you're, you're absolutely knowingly infringing upon the right of another owner, um, open and notorious, it can't be hidden, you have to be out there every day doing your lawn, and I mean, stuff like that actual possession and exclusive you know like you're the only one on there so you know i was curious it doesn't really say but if he had met the criteria for adverse possession and in new hampshire that's 20 years so you have to do that for 20 years if he was on that land for 27 years um he probably has right to it you know it's a good possibility and what's interesting is when the second owner came in, I don't know exactly when it was, but it seems like a very small window. I want to say five years if I read the story correctly. So if he had achieved adverse possession and title to that land, that second, the new owner wouldn't really have title to it. So it's really fascinating to think about. So there's your legal lesson today. Yeah, so the whole thing's weird. I thought for some reason I thought I read that like the landowner. It's been the same landowner for like sixty three years or since nineteen sixty three. But I think possibly what may be going on is that like he had a deal with some relative, and then somebody else, you know, that didn't own the land said, "Yeah, you can stay there," but it wasn't really their <laughs> their permission to give. So I don't oh, know. Man, but anyway, there's another conspiracy theory about this guy where apparently like I live in you know I live in the end of the Merrimack in Amesbury by, by Newburyport. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people don't realize this, but like when, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that gets dumped in the river. Like when we have huge rainstorms, like the cities upstream, like Haverhill and Lowell and God knows in New Hampshire, they just open up their sewage systems and just dump it <laughs> into the river. Like there's no, they don't have any like sort of backup system. So like people don't realize like this is 2021, but like they basically just dump raw sewage into the river when they get these rainstorms. And I think that this guy caught some sort of dumping going on locally in the Merrimack and tipped people off. So I think that was part of like this whole conspiracy around like, oh, because River Dave caught people dumping stuff in the river, they were going to go after him to get rid of him or something. So there's a whole wow. like local thing going on there that I don't really know a lot about, but I did, See, I this, did hear about that. This could be like a Hollywood movie. I mean, who would play exactly. River Dave? Um you, probably you, Stomp. You're old enough. Me. me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yeah, that's anyway. true. I've got the cool. beard going on. I'll start training yeah. for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I got uh, I got three more things here. So um, have you ever heard of a wood devil? 
I have not. Dude, I didn't know about this, but I was like, I don't know how I came across this, but I was on Reddit. Apparently, there is it Coos County? Is that what we're calling it? Or Coos yeah. County, Coos County? Apparently, there's a thing called the Wood Devil, which is like a, it's a tall cryptid. So it's like a, it's one of these like Sasquatch creatures. But apparently, there's a Wood Devil and like it's been spotted since like the 1900s. And it's only in like, Coos County, but it's I'm like a super. <laughs> it's like a super skinny, like tall, big-headed. Looks like an alien, but it's like yeah. Apparently, like wood devils have been spotted. So I found this on Reddit, and like people like, <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll link the pictures, but like people are like, oh yeah, I I saw one of those in Nashua one time at the at the liquor store. So I'll I'll link the picture, but I because oh, I'm doing man. research on a show where we're gonna do like creepy New Hampshire around it's Halloween a, it's time. A, so. It's a human body with arms and hands. The hands are like down to the knees. <laughs> yeah. And the face is like some twisted Sesame Street character with no hair. It's like, it's so crazy looking. Yeah, so anyway, I'll link this in the show notes, but I'm curious, like, if anybody's up in, like, the North Country and has heard of a wood devil, like, I, I think, like, you could just come on the show and talk to us about it, like, during the Halloween episode, because it's, it's pretty funny. I like how the post says, and apparently it lives in Coas County. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like, it's pretty good. Anyway, um, so two more things here before we wrap up. One is a, a Mara Murray update. So you know I'm obsessed with Mara Murray. Right? Oh, yeah. So for anyone that's not familiar, Mara Murray was a college student at UMass Amherst. She took a drive up to um, Route 112. She had a car accident, went missing from the car accident shortly after being spotted by a couple of local people. Has never been seen since. I think this happened in 2004. It's probably the biggest missing person story in the true crime unsolved mystery universe. And um, one weird thing, there was a news, there was a blog article by Julie Murray that was posted on the uh, maramurraymissing.org website. And this is kind of a crazy story. Like, I and I, you know, I don't want to knock law enforcement, but like when it comes to Mara Murray, like I'm underwhelmed with the approach that they've taken from you know doing doing detective work on this. So apparently, you know, when when a case like this happens, Stomp, wouldn't you think like? And I know it was in the early days of like forensics when it comes to computers and things like that, but like back in the day, like AOL Instant Message was like the big thing back then. So. The mm-hmm. police had access to Mara Murray's computer in her AOL chat logs. And oh, they, interesting. Uh, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, apparently, like, they didn't, for whatever reason, like, track this down. But somehow, Julie Murray became aware of the last person that Mara Murray was speaking with on AOL chat. So she was able to get the information somehow. I forget the, I'll link the article. It it says it in there. But somehow she was able to get the information. Law enforcement never bothered to track this person down. Julie Murray Mm. got the information and realized that it was a, so before Mara Murray went to UMass, she was at West Point. The person that she was speaking to was a friend of Mara's from West Point. Julie also went to West Point. She was able to track this person down speak to them, sort of get a little bit of background about what they were chatting about. This this was the last person to speak to Mara Murray over AOL Instant Chat. Had never been identified by the police and had never been spoken to by the police. 
Mm-hmm. And Julie Murray, like in probably, I don't know, it seems like the way the article made it sound is like it was like it took her just a little bit of legwork to actually do the research and find this. So the point is, is that like if this is uncovered like 15 years after the incident and and, you know, they're just tracking this stuff down, really nothing came of it other than they were just friends and they were chatting. But the point is, is that if this information is just coming out now, what is there that the police never even tracked down in the early stages of the investigation? That's that's just a, a thread hanging out there that could solve some some mystery. Mm-hmm. Any comment from the family or the father? The, the the family posted this update. They were like, basically, we did oh, all the legwork. They did yeah. all the legwork on this, and Lauren and they come to find out that law enforcement never even tracked this person down, never spoke to gotcha. them. And it was like just hanging out there pretty easy to find. So I, I'm surprised that all the other like investigative journalists didn't dig this up. I mean, you have all yeah. those Netflix shows and this and that. Not Netflix, but wherever they were. Um, there were yeah. so many people digging into this. Like that's that's a late uh, discovery. I mean, the the whole universe around Mara Murray, I mean, it's very like there's a ton of trolls and crazy people. So I think it's at the point where law enforcement and the family – Anybody that approaches them, like they don't want anything to do with them because most of them are crazy. So, mm. wow, yeah. that's yeah, it's still a tragedy. Let's dive into some White Mountains history, shall we? Cool. So, last thing I wanted to bring up before we wrap up, unless you have something, is. During Martin Pisani's episode, last episode, me and him were messaging back and forth. Um, by the way, like, thank God for Martin. Like, we had a recording error on the show. Like, we couldn't find his audio. Luckily, our, our software system, we were able to pull it up. But thank God. But Martin was cool. He was like, I'll record again if I need to. But he had been mentioned that Mowgli trail that you were talking about. Yeah. And I did a little bit of research. So there's an article... Me and Martin were just talking about, like, I wonder if it has to do with the Jungle Book. And and I think the guy's name is Rudyard Kipling is the writer. And um, I was like, I know there's a Mowgli Trail on Mount Cardigan. So apparently the reason why there's a naming um, convention for for Mowgli is that there was a lady around the 1900s that, um, you know, and there's actually a Mowgli Mountain, which is a sub-peak of Mount Cardigan. So mm-hmm. all of the names are inspired by the the classic book in 1894 by you know, it was written by Rudyard Kipling, yeah. And um, apparently there was a um, turn around the turn of the century. There was a Boston educator named Elizabeth Ford Holt, which I'm assuming the Holt Trail must be named after her or her family on Cardigan. She was inspired by the Jungle Book stories, so. She had reached out to Kipling and had gotten permission uh, to borrow the names from his jungle books to use for the buildings in her camp, which were her camp is by Newfound Lake. So I'm assuming that um, they also use these trails for, um, you know, these trail names as part of that, that camp that they were involved in. So that's hmm. sort of the, there's a whole history there that I read about in the link, Laconia um, Daily Sun. So I'll link that article mm-hmm. for you to check out. But that, that kind of explains part of that Mowgli trail that you were talking about. Okay. I, I did send you the image of the trail sign. See, here's my question about it. I, I know there's a trail up Cardigan, 
but from Cardigan North all the way up to uh, Plymouth Mountain, I've done probably half a dozen trails that have this this trail sign with this. I don't know, maybe it's a goat, maybe it's something. And it just makes me think that maybe in the, the, the olden days or who knows how far back, there was a system that might have you know stretched from Cardigan North. And I just yeah. can't put that piece together because I've yeah. seen the same exact trail sign on multiple peaks on that side of uh, the Whites. Yeah, I mean, the picture, and again, we'll put this in the show notes, I mean, that looks like a wood devil that's bent over, personally, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, maybe, you know, you could probably check with, like, um, Steve Smith, mm. see what he knows about it. Meave Myth? At, yeah, at the uh, at the Mountain Wanderer <laughs> bookstore, so. Okay, um, yeah, that's a good idea. I yeah, will but, figure this out, but that's yeah. great, great history. Yeah, but if anybody knows anything about that the, that Mowgli Trail that Stomp is talking about, you know, let us know. But, but that's mm-hmm. it. A lot of stuff here. We're probably pushing two hours, so I think it's time to wrap up. Yeah, great show. Good to be yeah. back in the saddle without guests. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly. We love guests, but sometimes it's just good to good to wrap. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Nealon, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? It seems to me the most common is being unprepared, and I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all.